The vicious voices of the right are out in full force, and it's time for us to get up and organize against the heartless attacks on our civil rights. Start your morning diving into the headlines and issues that matter to our everyday lives, speaking with changemakers and hearing from you, our listeners. Hear your host, Zerlina Maxwell, break down the top news, push for solutions from officials who represent us, and call out the misinformation and hypocrisy that surrounds us, plus the engaging stories that keep you energized. Get your morning boost of politics, culture, and everything you need to start your day. It's always darkest before the dawn, but the dawn is here. Shining a light on the ruthless forces across the aisle and rising for a brighter future for all of us. This is Mornings with Zerlina. Welcome to Mornings with Zerlina. I'm Zerlina Maxwell joining us on the phone to discuss the aftermath of not one, but two hurricanes, or even more than that, in Puerto Rico. Mayor Cruz, the former mayor of San Juan, Puerto Rico. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Good morning, Serlina. Thank you for the opportunity. Really looking forward to the conversation. Of course. So I have a lot of questions about how Puerto Rico is doing right now. Um, As I said right before the break, one of the things I had been reading about um, is the fact that in between Hurricane Maria and the most recent hurricane, there was supposed to be a whole upgrade of the power grid in Puerto Rico by Luma Energy, which has not gone as planned. Um, can you can you talk about how how things are going right now and w- what happened um, in this most recent hurricane um, that reflects that the power grid still has a long way to go? Yeah, first of all, thank you for for keeping the conversation going. Uh, so often, when things are out of the news cycle, people forget, and when people forget, the attention is is not there for things to go the way that they're supposed to go. Um, The power grid in Puerto Rico was really bad before Irma and Maria, both hurricanes on September of 2017. But the one thing is that the money that was supposed to come to Puerto Rico was not released until late 2020 because of the Trump administration imposing uh, restrictions that nowhere else in the U.S. or U.S. territories have ever been imposed on, on a crisis, when a crisis, a hurricane of this sort has happened. So the, the money is trickling down little by little, but there's a lot of money coming in. Now, Luna Energy just came in a year ago, and, and, and we have to be clear about that. In that year, Zerlina, Puerto Ricans have seen seven increases, seven, in the cost of electrical energy. <laughs> and the power doesn't even, uh, it's not consistent. We, we all seem to be ha- must have alternative methods of cooking. Uh, for example, I can be cooking in, in San Juan, Puerto Rico, and all of a sudden the electricity goes out and I take out my little gas stoves and, and continue to cook. But, but the truth of the matter is that the Puerto Rican government, and you know when things have to be criticized, I often do, and sometimes that gets me into trouble, has received $9 billion for, for the grid. And of those $9 billion, only $40 million have been used. So what that means is that between the money not being released uh, uh, until 2020 and the inefficiency of the privatizer, Luma is a private private company Mm -hmm. uh, which has had problems in other uh, jurisdictions, uh, and the privatizer not doing what they're supposed to do, Puerto Ricans are 
probably worse than they were before. And I'll tell you why. Hurricane Fiona was only a hurricane by one mile, meaning if the winds had been 74 miles per hour, it would have been Tropical Storm Fiona. It was 75 miles an hour, and that's what made it a hurricane. And Puerto Rico had a blackout that lasted consistently for almost two weeks with all of the shortcomings that that puts on the economy and on people's lives. People that are bedridden, like my father, are, are very sensitive to things like that. People that need oxygen mm -hmm. uh, to live. So so the problem is, why is this happening, right? Um, first of all, there's a lack of urgency. The one project that Luma has undertaken and that is talked about by federal agencies uh, often as a project that will change the electrical grid and, and fortify the electrical grid is they're changing the lampposts. Uh, in Puerto Rico, the electrical grid goes through the mountains. Uh, it's not um, under like our, our sidewalks or anything like that. So it's very, um, very palpable. When the winds come, you see all the wiring moving from one place to another. So they're they're putting the lampposts to resist 170 mile per hour winds or so they say, but the wiring is still there. So there there's and, and this project is going to take eight years, Luma says, to be completed around the 78 cities that comprise uh, the geographical area of, of Puerto Rico. So that that's not going to work. So there's a lack of sense of urgency. Number two, there's a lack of true green energy policy. What is happening is that we're switching from just a you know regular oil to gas, which is better than oil, but still it's not it's not green energy. It's still fossil fuels. And, and number three, you know financial interests that mm -hmm. of course come along and rear their ugly heads. Internal financial interests and external financial interests that do not do not allow for the Puerto Rican communities, even though the law permits it, to put together grids. For example, out of that $9 billion, it's very flexible. So at least $1 billion of, the, of those dollars could be put towards making smaller electrical grids that are produce electricity, but that are solar power, which is the future and the present of, of Puerto Rico, which has 322 days out of 365 days uh, with enough sun to provide all of the power that we need. When you say it that way, you're like, why haven't? Um, I mean, it feels like Puerto Rico is in the right position to be a pioneer on that on that point. You, you've said a couple of things I want to follow up on. One of the things that I flagged is that the holdup was by the Trump administration. And I don't want people to forget that, you know, we're talking about Hurricane Fiona but we all remember what happened in the aftermath of Hurricane Maria when you were still the mayor. And I mean, I, I think a lot about whether or not as on a policy level, just the lack of empathy, you know, demonstrated by the Trump administration, and even Trump himself. I mean, everybody remembers the sort of paper towel throwing incident where he mm -hmm. was throwing paper towels at people. Um, does that make a difference in terms of the policies that come from these administrations in terms of the resources that Puerto Rico needs, has it gotten better in the Biden administration? It, it has gotten better. Certainly, uh, the the dialogue is different, right? It's not 
and I quote, you Puerto Ricans are throwing our budget out of whack for all the money we have thrown down here, end of quote. That is a direct quote from when President Trump visited Puerto Rico. Uh, to President Biden saying, you know, Puerto Ricans need to be treated fairly and with dignity, and we're going to do everything we can to support you. Um, but the underlying process continues to be bureaucratic, continues to be ineffective and inefficient. And, and I'll give you an example. After crises, and this happened after Katrina and to a lesser extent after Sandy, but after a, a crisis like a hurricane, a, a big um, fire or a flood or a drought for that matter, people, when they lose their homes, they don't necessarily have the proof, the paperwork that the government needs in order to say, yes, this home is your, this land is yours, the land is yours, but the house is not, et cetera. And, and this is something that happened uh, with uh, largely African-American communities in the continental U USA. So FEMA has applied for FIONA the same proof, uh, the same proof test that they were applying for uh, for many African American communities again in 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 New Orleans and and in Harvey, Texas, but they are refusing to apply that to Puerto Rico for Maria. So there are lots of people that have lived in their homes, um, you know, people that occupied land at some point that was not theirs, but they have been there for 50, 60, 70 years generation after generation, who are in fact owners of the property that was lost. So uh, I've been working uh, with Senator Sanders, Bernie Sanders, to ask FEMA to retroactively apply that to Puerto Rico for Irma and Maria. And, and those are policy uh, issues that are very easily fixed, very quickly fixed and that have not been fixed because of bureaucracy and inefficiency. Sometimes, you know, it seems like, uh, and, and look, there's a lot of good people at FEMA. There's a lot of people that want to do the right thing. But the structures, the structural changes that need to take place um, are, are overwhelming for them. And they, they, after all, have to work within those constraints. You mentioned you know, the ability of us to change how we even, um, you know, consume energy and the shift we need to make away from fossil fuels. I mean, it feels to me like we both need the structural change, like you said, in the bureaucracy, but the policy change feels even more urgent. I mean, when you think about our conversation about the climate crisis, doesn't mm -hmm. it seem silly that as you mentioned, you know, the plan is over the course of eight years. I'm like, how many hurricanes is going to, you know, like are going to happen in eight years time? We've just lived through three years where there have been three devastating hurricanes. So talk about the, the need to expand this conversation to directly tie these, you know, historic hurricanes to climate. climate and Zerlina, first of all, let, let me back up one second and give you a framework of what Puerto Ricans went through in five years. Uh, and, and I went through as a mayor in five years time. So between 2016 and 2020, we we uh, had Sika and Chikungunya, two new diseases that we didn't know how to deal with their their um, their relatives of a dengue fever and the same mosquito. It gives it to people. So we had to 
deal with the with the aftermath of that, with the education of people and, and learning ourselves as we went along. We had Hurricane Irma and Hurricane Maria. We had two historical coastal storms after that, which once you start getting everything fixed on the coast, it comes back and takes everything away. Uh, on the summer of 2019, Puerto Ricans protested and ousted a governor for the first time in history. Uh, the uh, the territory of Puerto Rico, which is a euphemism for colony, went bankrupt um, in 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 this four year term. Uh, the process had begun in 2016, and and it finally transpired, which had a trickle effect to municipalities and how much money they had available to provide essential services. The other thing that happened is we had two major earthquakes on January 2020 and then the pandemic. So, so this is five years of chaos and turmoil uh, of people being just shaken and shaken. And, and frankly, we call it a massive PTSD. Mm. But what happened with Irma and Maria is that finally what a lot of people had been talking about in terms of climate change really connected for people. And, and I'm one of those people, you know, I had a lot of young people, younger people in, in our staff, uh, we all worked together. And whenever we had a construction of some sorts, they insisted on putting the lampposts um, that were uh, uh, solar uh, powered of collecting the rain, doing rain harvesting and using that for restrooms and, and for uh, the flowers and everything. And frankly, they wore me down. Uh, they, they, just, they just pounced at it so hard that I kept saying, yes, let's do it. It makes sense. But in my heart, I did not, I did not see the connection between a crisis and this. And lo and behold, the only places that worked in San Juan for many months were those places that these young people had pretty much with their pounding and their passion mm -hmm. uh, gotten me to, to say, yes, let's do this. So I, I became a born again solar power person. Uh, you know, I, I see the sun and what I see is life. Because what people have now connected in Puerto Rico is that when you don't have electrical power, you cannot operate with the lights. You don't have dialysis. You don't have chemotherapy. Mm -hmm. And the close to 4,000 people that died, died because of that aftermath and that lack of electricity. So mm -hmm. that connection now, it's personal. That connection now is real. Very real, very personal. Do you feel like, I mean, I, I don't always say like it's directly tied to race, but in some ways, I feel like the lack of urgency, particularly because some of the frontline communities that are first impacted by the climate crisis happen to be black and brown. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like the lack of urgency is, is tied to race in any way? Yes, most definitely. Um, and, and I did not want to think that. Um, but then, you know, you, you, you start noticing how it is different when it's not black and brown and how... It is a little faster and the aid gets there a lot faster. So, mm -hmm. so yes, uh, there is an intersection between climate change, climate justice, and climate justice touches differently black and brown people, especially when it talks about displacement and about yeah. gentrification, which is happening in Puerto Rico on a massive scale 
all over the island nation of Puerto Rico. So important, this conversation, so critically important to have. And I, I would love to have you back with even more updates. Yes. Um, former mayor of San Juan, Carmen Yuli Cruz, um, now at Man- Mount Holyoke, by the way, which is super cool. Love Mount Holyoke. Love Massachusetts. Holyoke I went to Tufts. College, I, yeah. Um, I went to, to yeah, so Mount Holyoke. Shout out to Massachusetts. <laughs> love Boston. Um, and I think you went to BU. So Boston I, I and Massachusetts. Yeah, love I that. Tufts, I was at Tufts uh, last week on a conference of nutrition and sustainability. Oh, I so. love that. That's amazing. Really Tufts, um, they have really good food because of the nutrition school. That is a true story. So if you wanted good food in your college, Tufts is a good school to apply to. Um, Carmen, thank you so much for being here this morning. Important conversation. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Zerlina. We'll be back tomorrow with more news.